Hello and welcome to episode eight of the Leading Minds podcast, where we interview entrepreneurs on a weekly basis, discussing topics in and around mental health and how they've overcome those challenges. Today's episode is gonna be uh, one of um, a few episodes that we're gonna be doing over the coming months about addiction. It'd be unfair to do one podcast about addiction because there are so many elements to addiction um, and the problems that people face in and around addiction. Today we're going to be covering the topic of alcoholism, um, which over the last 18 months with people being in lockdown, um, the increase in alcohol consumption has been enormous, which is obviously going to lead to addiction issues moving forward. Um, so today our guest, very old friend of mine and CEO of Hangit Services, James. Thanks very much for coming on, mate. Thanks for inviting me. Um, so listen, the first thing that I want to do is I want to kind of get some clarity about what alcoholism is, right? Because people will have their own conceptions and misconceptions. So give us, in a nutshell, what how you would describe the addiction of alcoholism. Um, alcoholism for me... Um, manifests as a, as a physical allergy um, so once I start drinking I don't get to control how much I take uh, it's a mental obsession so no matter how many times I get burned by it I still want to go back um, and continue to repeat that behavior so I have a body that says I can't and I've got a mind that says I must so there is my there's my malady so you were talking about, before when we started the podcast, you were talking about this uh, kind of elevator of addiction. Yeah. So uh, so just describe that. Just go into that a bit, bit in a bit of detail and link that back to, to what we're talking about today. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people think that you've got to go, you know, I know I did. I, I, I thought, oh, I don't drink as much as that person. My life hasn't got as, my life hasn't got bad enough that I need to, that, I, that I'm, I'm an alcoholic. I, I I was I'd see sort of things whether it was in media media publications, um, you know, movies, TV shows. You know, the, the idea that we have that an alcoholic is is a is a guy that sits on a park bench somewhere drinking bottles yeah. of whiskey out of a brown bag. That's what we think an alcoholic. You, right. you know, I'm just sat in a park wetting myself or you know walking around the street. Or, you know, so we, we we've got this quite of idea of what we think someone who is an alcoholic is. Um, but alcoholism is it's like an elevator you know the, the bottom you know is death that's that's where it leads to um but there are multiple levels on the way down and you can get out at any level you want to just because you haven't lost as much as someone else um doesn't mean that you can't start your journey in recovery you know, it's, it's not like a qualification. Like, oh well, I've, I've now I've lost my home, I've lost my kids, I've lost my job, I've lost my health. Um, now, now, now I'm it's time for me yeah. to go into recovery. Now I yeah. qualify yeah. for being an alcoholic. That's there's, there's not that's not how it works. Not from my experience, anyway. There's no sort of criteria. You know, um, in one of the twelve step recovery programs, the, the the qualification for being in recovery is to, to simply have a desire to stop drinking. That's it. Yeah. I, I remember when you when you first gave up drinking because obviously we've known each other for a hell of a long time and you said something to me <clears throat> and at, at the time I kind of dismissed it 
but it stuck with me. And this is going back nearly 10 years, right? This was kind of the early stages of, of you going to recovery. And you said, you don't need to drink every day to be an alcoholic. And you said something along the lines of, you drink every weekend. And when you drink, you drink a truckload. That's alcoholism, that's an addiction. And that really hit me. I was like, really? Because for me, it was exactly what you've said, is the person who's homeless with his, with his can of <coughs> super tenants in a brown paper bag <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and he wakes up and he has a drink and he, you know, he, he can't go through the, through the day without it. And that really hit me because I, I, I was at that point, I, I, I had that misconception that, you know, I wasn't an alcoholic or I, I didn't have a drink problem because I was only drinking a couple of times a week. But like you said earlier on, it's not necessarily the quantity, is it? No, it's, it's, it's more the reason why. You know, it, it's why you drink and it's also um, your behavior around the drink. You know, fundamentally, if I start drinking, I don't get to choose when I stop. That's an issue. You know, and if you, if you struggle with that as well, you know, I, 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 it would amaze me when we go out with, um, you know, friends of ours at the time yeah. back in, you know, back in the day, yeah, yeah. and they get to like eleven thirty, twelve o'clock, and I'd be, I'm now about to, I'm kicking it up that, into a this, new gear. It's, right. it's true. I'm about it's to, re I'm yeah. now, I'm really going to go for it. Like the, the, all that pre was just a warm up for me. Now I'm going to go for it, and I'd be at the bar with someone, and they go, oh, do you know, I'll have a water. I'm like what? why you they're like yeah no i've had enough what do you mean you've had enough there isn't there's there's never enough mm. you know and there's where you know again it's, it's difficult to not talk in too many bumper stickers but again yeah. some mm. of the things that are thrown around in recovery is that one is too many and a thousand is not enough yeah yeah and that's what it means from that once you start drinking you don't get to control how much you take and that's one part of it but the other other part of it also is um, if if I would try to stop for any prolonged period of time. Now this could be for a health reason. This could be because of a, of a as a consequence. You know, such as um, maybe my partner at the time saying to me, "That's it. You were way out of control last night," and you and you wake up with that resolution the next morning, that resolve to go today. I am not going to drink. I'm not going to drink. And and if you were to put me on a, a polygraph test, I'd be telling the truth. Yeah. Your intention would mm -hmm. be there, right? I would be telling yeah. the truth. But at some point during the day, I'd forget. There would be this overwhelming feeling of discomfort and disorganization in myself that it would. I'd have such inner turmoil. Now, that could be from... Um, something that I'd done that people did know about that I was in trouble for something that I'd done that wasn't yet knowledge that might happen so I've got the anxiety of something happening um, and at that particular point the turmoil would be so bad I know that I would get some ease and comfort from taking a drink now that's not abnormal behavior in the sense of if one of you got you know you have a bad day at work and we were talking about this earlier, you have a bad day at work and um, something goes wrong or whatever, just a bad day in general. You have a couple of beers later or it's a Friday night, you have a couple of beers, you feel better about it. You're like, oh, that doesn't matter so much. 
oh, you know, I was worried about that thing and I was going to send that narky email back to that customer or I was going to engage in that thing with that. Oh, I don't know why it doesn't matter. And that's just normal. That's just what people do. You have a couple of drinks and you don't worry about things as much. The trouble is for people like me is that once I have that first drink, I want the second more than the first, the third more than the second, the fourth more than the third, and so on and so on and so on. And again, my um, moral compass, stone cold sober, is strong. You know, I don't break the law. I don't do things to upset people. I avoid confrontation. All of those things. I try to be a decent, upstanding member of society. You stick seven or eight drinks into me and regardless of how long you have known me for right like we've you know if if you hadn't met me pre-recovery and you'd known me for the last 10 years you would have this view of me of how you think i am that's right yeah you stick five drinks inside me i'll introduce you to someone you've never met yeah it's yeah and that's the problem you you saying that really interests me because it's when, especially when you went into the to the mindset side of it is it almost like <clears throat> And you can't even say it, it's not you because essentially it is you, but it might be a part of you that you just necessarily don't like and don't want to show people. Would you would you almost say that when you when you when you did have a drink, it just brought out this subconscious, subdued other other James, which isn't isn't a, a nicer person. Does maybe does break the law if if, if he's had a few drinks and stuff because. That really interests me. It's it's something that I, <clears throat> I, I I was I was never a, a big big drinker. For me, it was it was drugs, and like like you have said, it brings out another side of you. And my friends like they they made up a nickname for that person as well, um, and so I used to laugh it off and things like that. But it's it's really resonating with with me. You saying that because I'm like. Well, well, clearly, I'm I'm not the only one that thinks that and has been through that experience as well. But I'd love to get kind of your 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 take on that. What uh, in, in like almost like a suppressed <coughs> version? Yeah, yeah. But again, that's not the authentic you. That person <coughs> that comes out when you drink or use is not the authentic you. The authentic you is the person that you hide from everybody. And the reason that you drink and the reason that I drank and the reason that I did these things is because I was worried that people wouldn't like the real me anyway. So that that version that comes out when I've when I drink, that's not who I really am. You know, that that person who I really am, the authentic me was hidden for a long, long time. I drank because I I, I was worried that they wouldn't like the real me. You know, so say, for instance, initially, generally, I might be quite quiet you know don't all these things that i think w people won't like but then you put a few drinks inside me and i become i become the life of the party i become the thing that i want to be mm -hmm. but not actually the real me i become the thing i become like the, the almost like the entertainment would you go as far to say right and i'm, I'm saying this from my own experience <clears throat> would you go as far to say that the unhappiness or unknowing of oneself, so not knowing who you truly are, actually fuels the alcoholism because you're more, you're more, you're lean, you lean more towards the person you become under the influence. It, unhappiness, it, a, a lot of it is, um, a lot of it is how we view ourselves. 
okay so we, as alcoholics or addicts in in particular ways we generally have quite low self-worth low self-esteem um, and, and we have a lot of fear fear is absolutely yeah. the number one yeah. thing it's fear why we behave the way that we do such as if you got to know the real me you wouldn't like me so if I do this, if I take these few drinks and I become confident... The fear of rejection at that time, yeah. yeah. yeah like, you become all of these things. Yeah. So you're sort of... Essentially, what I would do is I would have... Because I had different groups of friends. I had, like, I had like yourself, and then I had some mates over in sort of Twyford, and I had other mates. But I was too much to handle for any one group. Yeah. I couldn't go out with you Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday because yeah. it would be t you'd be like, oh my god, yeah. this guy. But I, you could handle a night, so I'd go one night over there, one night over here, one night over there, and for each of those different groups of people, depending on where I was in the hierarchy of that group, I'd have a different master put on a different yeah. part to play. And the alcohol helped provide that engine, if you like. So, so let's go into let's go into that pre-recovery um so when we did used to go out it was that th there was no there was no stopping you and I'm, I'm gonna talk from my own personal experience and you can talk about how you actually perceived it at that time yeah and i think there was an element of peer pressure because you know and sadly now at the time we used to laugh about it but you know, like he touched on at 11 o'clock in the night, everybody's like, you know, kind of waving a bit and he'd be racking up five tequilas on the bar and we'd be like, yeah, James, go on, son. And bang, 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 bang. Now, that's after a truckload of drinking before that, right? Now, if I look back at that now, knowing how much that you've you've come along, I didn't see that as an issue at the time. Do you see what I mean? My, yeah, my yeah. perception of what we were doing at that time, it was normal. Lots of people assume, and like I did at the stage, that um, when you're younger, because we were what? what 18, 19, 18, something, 19 like that, yeah. something like that. A lot of people, especially older, you know, I say people around our age, but maybe our parents in your sort of late 30s, early 40s, if you know of someone who's sort of late teens, early 20s, who's behaving in the way that I was at the time, you just, you, we, from a society perspective, we assume that it's just a phase and they will grow out yeah. of it. Yeah. I didn't grow out of it, I grew into it. There was a difference, you know. There's a lot of people that went, oh yeah, you know, between like 18 to 22, it was a little bit crazy. Mm -hmm. We did some sort of stuff like that. I have minimal recollection from 18 to about 28. 28, 27, there's about, there's 10 years of my life that I'm not, I'd have to look back at my CV, right? Figure out, I mean, I've got like an old one on an old Hotmail account yeah, somewhere or something yeah. like that, you know. Um, I'd have to look back and figure out where I was working. Then I could figure out where I was living. And then I might be able to figure out, like, someone said to me, what did you do when you were 21? Summer, summer, summer of your 21st year. I would have no, I couldn't tell you where I went, whether I went to Spain, Ibiza, Tenerife, didn't go on holiday, where I was working, I'd have to look back at it. I spent so much time in almost like a, a blackout of my life, I just don't remember it. Don't, there's whole, whole periods of time that I don't recall, and I was really growing into, into it. I could have gone into recovery at, at 20. Yeah. 
easily but I wasn't ready uh, I, I hadn't ticked those again like I said about the elevator mm -hmm. yeah. I hadn't I, I perceived that I hadn't qualified yet and then what happened as I went along in life as people got older and they started doing things so say for instance they got into got into relationships they got had children got married all of these things i always perceived that they were the steps that you needed to take yeah. in order to be happy and yeah. i always assumed <coughs> that once i was happy i then wouldn't drink the way that i did it's societal conditioning to a certain degree so it's like it? yeah. if i've got these things then i'll be content and contentment means that i won't need to drink because i was unaware of the physical allergy and the mental obsession I didn't know that I had those at that particular time. I thought that my alcoholism was circumstantial. I thought it was. I thought I drank because of my circumstances, yeah. but my circumstances were actually because I drank. Yeah. You know, there's. Um, I try not to. I was listening to a podcast the other day on something, and it says. Um, I think we spoke about this on the phone the other day. We are all self-made. Yeah. But only the successful will admit it. Yeah. You know. I was where I was at in my life because of my decisions. Yeah. But from the outside looking in, see, now you're talking about it, I'm getting flashbacks, <laughs> right? And from the outside looking in, I, can, I, can, I actually thought that you'd gone into recovery really early. And I'll go as far to say that I, I <coughs> didn't think, I, I just thought your recovery was a phase and not your drink. Now, how messed up is that? Mm. That's what I was thinking because so a, a, a normal night would be we start. We used to start off at my well, it was my mum and dad's back then, wasn't it? And we'd polish up a bottle of vodka, vodka before we'd go out. But he'd polish his off in two three minutes, and our our perception was that was just James, isn't it? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? This is just what, what James have does. Known is that before I even got to yours, I'd have I'd have preloaded as it, it was. Well, exactly, exactly. And if I and then I'd do things like, oh, we're out. I'll go get some more. Yeah. So I'd walk over to Thresher's. Yes, I'd bring a bottle back, but I'd probably drink something on the, uh, what is it, 40 paces from Thresh's It's literally house. across the road, right? So I'd yeah. drink a little something yeah. on the way. Because I was always, and again, it, I want to try and be absolutely adamant, it's not to do with the volume of the alcohol yeah. that you drink. It's not the amount that you drink. It's why you drink, you know? So as I was telling you earlier, I know a story of someone that um, she used to go and put, used to go and buy three bottles of wine in the morning. She'd drive around all day doing her job and the bottles of wine would be in the boot. And she'd drive around with the radio off all day and um, she'd listen to the bottles chinking. So it wouldn't matter how many difficult situations or how hard her day was or she'd just been in a really difficult client's house or something or a, an office or whatever and normally, you know, she'd get in the car, she'd drive around, the bottles would go clink, clink, clink and she'd be like, it's all going to be okay. Just because she could hear. Just because yeah. she could hear it. Now that could have been 12 bottles. That could have been two bottles. It could have been two little miniatures. But the matter of the fact is, is that her solution to her day was in the back of the car. You know, now whether that is two glasses of wine every single night 365 days a year or whether that is not drinking anything all week how many people do you know and i know you know from my experience itself i know people that can go through 
all sorts of stuff a week because they know Friday night. That's right. Friday night's all going to be okay. Yeah. I'm going to go for it. How many people go through health kicks and they say, right, 90 days, no booze. No booze for 90 days. And they can do that. The, the resolve of some people is incredible. They can do that because they know day 91. Yeah, that's whoa, right. It's there, isn't it? It's the carrots dangling on. there, yeah. Day 91, <clears throat> 92, and 93, I am out of it. I'm gonna, we're going to go up to Manchester for the weekend. We're going to have a proper wild one. I'm going to reward myself for doing the 90 days. This, it exists, you know, it exists in society. We do it. We see it all the time. Give up this for yeah, so yeah. long. Mm. Give up that for so long. But because you've got there's the end no date. Point, there's, there's no point giving anything up if you're going to go back to the behavior yeah. straight away. If you go back to that exact behavior. Like if I if I give up chocolate, if my, ba if my bad thing is to drink, is to eat, you know, uh, a big bar of dairy milk every night, right? And then I go, right, no chocolate for 90 days. And then from day 91, I start eating a big bar of chocolate every All I've done is I've just had a respite from the yeah, behavior. Right. I haven't changed yeah. the behavior. Yeah. I've just had a respite from You've it. Just it from on self-will on, on self alone, I've gone, right, 90 days. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, 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 but, but like you said, you've already attached it because you know as soon as you start day one, only a few and more so, weeks and, and I've not got to do this anymore. And then, you'll do, and then you just... Repeat you, that cycle. You take one more trip down the same road again. And then, like, six months later, you go, oh, I'm eating chocolate every day, I'll do 90 days. You know, or, or whatever the whatever <clears throat> we're abstaining from something. The, the, it's the changing of the behaviour. Mm. Yeah. You know, and, in, and, and the thing is with alcoholism is I had absolutely no idea how to do life whatsoever. That was my fundamental yeah. problem, is I was, I was unequipped to do life. I did not know how to do it. So as I was sort of saying to earlier, I'd look at what all the other people had. And so I, I almost look at it like it was a life list and I go, right, so what you do is you get a job. Okay, got that. And then you get a girlfriend or a partner or a boyfriend or whatever you go. Okay, got that, brilliant. And then you get a house, okay. Then you have some kids, yep. And then you get a car that you like, yes. And then you do this and you go, right, I've now ticked off all of those things and I'm still desperately unhappy. What's going to make that better? Well, I'll have a drink. You know, so it, I, I looked at all the other stuff that people had and I assumed that, that was, those things were the key to their happiness. So therefore, if I got all of those things, I would then be happy. And when you have all those things, and you're still not happy, then you are really in a tricky situation. And that's exactly where you were. Because you've explored yeah. everything that society tells you to be happy. You've got it all. And you're still not happy. So where do you go from that point? You you mentioned the circumstances that you're in. And that's piqued my interest because something you mentioned earlier, it's individual for everyone. I I would love to get into because you mentioned from 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 eighteen to to twenty years old that um, that it, that you kind of were, were already um, addicted to alcohol and, and con con consuming and, and partying. What what did what did your circumstances look like from let, let's go from twenty to to twenty five twenty to maybe twenty eight. Um not really very far um you know my eldest boy is now 14 um so i was 25 
when I started ha- when I you know family life started for me um sort of 20 to 25 basically just muddled, muddled around not really not really getting anywhere in I I was a I was a golf pro in a training program but what I lacked was the um ability to concentrate and dedicate myself to studying so therefore I never completed the course I just wasted time you know? and he was good I, I he was I, 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 I didn't, really good I didn't complete I didn't complete the course so I, I got to a, a decent level and I, I turned pro and and then I basically just went around you know ballsing up every job that I went to I'd be there for a period of time and things would happen and um, I'd get more resentful and more irritated by the the environment or the circumstances and then at some particular point I would because of the way I drank I would lose control and it would all come out sideways you know I do I, I had a job once and um, this is back in 2000 and uh, I thought it was going to be a really good job it was a really prestigious famous golf club and um, it was going to be like everyone sold it to me including my boss at my current job all sold it to me as like this opportunity this was like this was the big time this was like you know this was top tier of a place to work in in the area that I live in um, and it wasn't you know my job was essentially to fold shirts and sell Mars bars and clean people's golf clubs now that might very well be the process of being an assistant golf pro you have to do some of the menial jobs to start but I got there and I was already very unhappy about that I sort of had a, a grandeur of like I'm a, don't mm-hmm. you know, I'm a golf professional yep. why should you know and I'm, I'm in the I'm in the back with a little tub of hot water and a little club cleaner cleaning some blokes clubs and folding up Hugo Boss shirts and you know having a conversation with some woman about what colour tea peg she should use and I'm just there like Jesus Christ what is this all about and because of my inability to process this because I had I'd stopped maturing I'd stopped when I started drinking alcoholic my my sort of maturity just stopped so I was I was kind of sick 15 or 16 17 years old trapped in a 21 year old's body so I I was very immature um, and it's really hard to to do life when you're of that mentality um and so what did i do um i got invited to a event at the club uh and one of the one of the members he sort of told me off for not cleaning his club properly like indirectly like he was like oh you know you haven't cleaned my clubs properly and i was like already seething um and I, I basically went to an event that night and uh, took my girlfriend at the time and got absolutely, like, I started drinking, you know, he was kind of, you're kind of the new guy. And I th- I was there, I remember with my girlfriend at the time, she was going, look, take it easy. He said, I take it easy. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely, going to take it easy. You know, it's a, it's a big function, it's an event um, at the club with my boss, all the important people. This is, this is not the time to make an idiot out of yourself. Um, I have a physical allergy to alcohol so once I start drinking I don't get to control how much I take so therefore 
And this, I was unaware of this at the time. I didn't know about recovery, didn't know about the 12 steps, but in hindsight, what I had was a physical allergy to alcohol. So I started drinking and I didn't get to control that evening how much I consumed. And then all of the things that I was upset about, so my resentment to my position in the club, my resentment to the bloke that sort of scolded me almost for not cleaning his clubs, they all came out sideways at the most inconvenient of time. So what did I do? I got really pissed and pretty much jumped across the table at this guy that had scolded me for not cleaning his clubs. Got called in the next morning, got fired. Now, my mentality at that particular moment when I was driving out of that golf club after getting fired was how they had wronged me. You were the victim. I was the victim. How dare they? I was the victim. Even though nothing that, you know, as an, you know, a person that's got his own business now, trying to look at it in a sense if, if I knew nothing about recovery, if I'd just taken a, what was I, 18, if I'd just taken an 18 year old lad on his first function and he'd done that, I'd have sacked him as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. He's just embarrassed me in front of maybe 2,000 members at my, you know, event or business or whatever. Absolutely, I'd fire him on the spot. But it's quite hard to look at things in that way when yeah. you have the sort of when you're the information that yeah. you know. But yes, I drove out of that golf club the victim. And guess what? I then went to work at another golf club and I pretty much repeated the same behavior. And again, I left as the victim. And then I went over to Southern Ireland and I did exactly the same thing and left as the vic- got fired and left as the victim. All of these times, all of these circumstances where my behavior and the things I had done had caused the problem, I always walked out with the victim mentality. Like I had been done wrong. Do you think? Do you think psychologically you're using that as an excuse to go back to the drink because that's your comfort? Well, you, you go back to it because it's the only way you could, you, that I could do life. Because if you imagine, if my my the way to look at guilt, or I used to look the way to the way that I look at guilt nowadays is is um you have to imagine it like it's a concrete slab laying on your chest, right? And the and the more that you do the bigger the slab gets, it's more guilt and it hurts, it's difficult. Yeah. But when I take a couple of drinks, the late, the, the weight would get lighter. I wouldn't feel so bad mm. about it. I'd almost switch it around and go, ah, it wasn't my fault, it was their fault. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's down on you, it's your fault that, that, I, that this thing happened. But then the trouble is, coupled with the physical allergy and the mental obsession, when I wake up the next morning, the slab's gonna be bigger. The consequences and the guilt's gonna be even thicker. And that's going to weigh down on me for a while. But then I take a drink and then I don't worry about it as much. But then it thickens and the load gets heavier. And it it just goes on and on and on and on. So there's lots of... How, how, I mean, let's talk about how dark it really got for you, right? And and the moment before your recovery. From from the outside looking in, like I said, from from because we're talking about it from two different perspectives, right? Is is me watching you go through that, and then you actually living it, and I think for me, the time that I realised that you had an issue, that you had a problem, was back in two thousand and eight, when we were in Manchester. <laughs> I forgot about that. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> 
we'd uh, we were we were away we'd we'd been away we'd gone to leeds for one night and then you met us in manchester right so we were just having this mad weekend and um we'd been out and we we'd got home late but we had to get up early because we were going to do something i can't remember what we we're going to do it's uh, it's about half past nine ten o'clock in the morning and james is not in the apartment and then he walks in through the door totally drunk and what he's done is he's gone downstairs to the bar stolen two bottles of wine necked them literally and then come back and he's come back in hammered and that's when i realized that you had a problem and that's when i started to really worry about you because again all those years i thought it was just you being you but that hit me and that's the for me that was one of the one of the darkest moments i mean obviously i had times when your mum used to call me up and say right where's james where's james where's james and james is hanging out of a telephone box like been there all night how how what was the darkest moment for you the i don't want to sort of dismiss those times but those things have i've got i've got loads of those i've got mul multiple physical embarrassing i've got loads of them you know the, the darkest time um is when there's what you believe about yourself or you believe about the world and then it sort of evidence you it's completely wrong now that could be something quite small as I would sometimes get so drunk after work if I finished early I could finish at like maybe two o'clock three o'clock and I'd be smashed by four and then I'd wake up at six and I'd look at the clock to the left of my bed and at that particular instance I was not sure whether it was six o'clock at night and I've got at six o'clock at night and I've missed a work day right that's option number one option number two it's six o'clock in the morning this is the winter it's dark right so it's six o'clock in the morning and I've got to go to work in an hour or it's six o'clock that evening and I've just passed out for an hour they're like the three yeah really worrying moments the amount of fear that leaps on you at that instant when you look at a clock and you're like right is it 6 a.m because then I'm in trouble because I at this precise phone moment I am pissed as hell and I feel like shit and you're like oh it's not 6am and your next thing is like okay is it Monday or is it Wednesday because if it's Wednesday I'm in big trouble if it's Monday that's not so bad and you go oh it's Monday and you go oh it's okay I just passed out for an hour wow guess I better start drinking again nothing else to do my life's terrible it's horrendous. I'm on my own. It's all going down the pan. I can't handle how I feel. I'll start drinking again. So they, they that's the sort of, that's yeah. one of, that, that's a low moment. Um, <clears throat> because you're constantly reliving that. You're constantly yeah, yeah, reliving yeah, but that. The, right? I, I, but for me, I think the worst, I've had, I, I've had moments, I've had times in my life where I've wanted to recover. I wanted to be in recovery and I've wanted to get sober. I've had, my parents begging me, I've had my 
partner at the time, my kid's mum begging me. I've I've had kid. I've been in a hospital bed with my kids down the end, looking at me. You know, because I've taken one more trip down this route of oblivion, and that has not got me sober. The lowest moment was where I mean I've I've had lots of really sort of bad physical. Yeah. Fit, I've had withdrawals, DTs. I've had lots of bad physical and you know with issues from alcohol. I've had lots of embarrassing things that would almost embarrass people sober. But the, I remember the, the 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 not the lowest point, but the point in which I decided to do something about it was when I, for the first time in my life, I caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror one evening. It was New Year's Eve, actually. And um, and it's like, I, I didn't know who it was. That was the moment. The moment was that that was the darkest, the darkest moment. You just didn't recognise yourself? Just didn't know who it was. You know, that was the, that was the worst thing. Um, and that's when I, that, that's when I then phoned my, you know, my best friend, you know, and, um, my sponsor, you know, who'd been sponsoring at the time, and said, "Look, I've, I'm in real trouble here." And he said to me, uh, "Not the most loving thing he ever said." He says, "You have you had enough now?" I was like, "Yeah, I have." It's actually quite a powerful statement, though, isn't mm. it? And I'd been the trouble is I'd been in recovery before, and I'd gone in, and I wanted to make this. I'd been in recovery before, about three or four years earlier, and one of the really important things for me about recovery is that and this sort of leads into what we're going to you know talking about with business and, and things like this at a late you know shortly but i was always um making deals with the universe as to why i should stop drinking and get sober i was negotiating you know like a contract in yeah. some sort of sense. And I was going, right, I'll tell you what. If you give me a, a nice house with a, a, you know, a loving family, I've got a loving family anyway, but I'd like to live with them. I'd like a nice house, loving family, a good job. I would like all these things, right? If you do that for me, universe, I will get sober. And I will stop You're drinking. attaching conditions, basically. I'm, yeah, I'm attaching yeah. conditions to being sober. <coughs> And in the first instance, when I came into recovery, when I say I wasn't ready, I wasn't ready because I was attaching conditions to my recovery, such as I wasn't with my children and my partner at the time, and uh, I shouldn't have been, 100%. I was, you know, not, should not have been there. But my condition was, in my head, well, I'll get sober if I get them back. But if I don't get them back, I'm going to get pissed. Yeah. And I'll get sober if I can move up the ladder in my profession but if you if I, if you if the universe doesn't give me that there's no point staying sober so i'll get pissed so all of these things were conditions it's almost an excuse isn't it well i was giving myself an out yeah i was giving yeah. myself an out for for going back to recover going go, going back to getting pissed yeah um and what i have learned from recovery this time round, which is what coming up nine, ten, nine, ten years. I think it's nine years, ten years, nine years. I think um, is that everything else. Everything in my life is a byproduct of recovery, not the point. Yeah. So I have all the things I have in my life are because of recovery. 
but none of these things are continue you know if i lose something if something happens to any of that stuff my recovery still has to be constant you know there was a there's a guy around near me and he says if you put recovery in your life first uh, if you make recovery the most important thing everything in your life will be first class mm. but if you put anything above recovery it won't work so it is the most important thing in my life and that's a really difficult thing to try and explain to anybody you know your partner your children your family your friends your business all these things that you want they are all secondary not in the sense of they're not less important no. but i need to do that's right recovery and sobriety first that yeah. enables me to be who i am in this precise moment yeah if I start putting pound coins above recovery, oh, I'm in trouble. Then it's a downward spiral. I've yeah. and and there's many a time, and especially in my early years, um, when I was back sort of in the in the family home, um, that the kids like, well, can you? I wanted to read the kids a story or spend a bit of time with them, but I would go to a meeting and I might miss bedtime. And I might miss bath time or I might, and I'd be like, oh, I'm missing this. Oh, and I, I, I almost feel a little bit of guilt about that. But it was explained to me how important going to that meeting was. So let's, you've talked about recovery a lot, right? We've talked about you going to recovery. And I know one of the core fundamentals for you now is you follow a 12-step program. Yeah. So so just talk about, talk uh, talk to us about and explain what recovery is and what the 12-step program is and how it helps you in your life. Well, the 12-step program, um, the first thing to do, or the first thing that I had to do was go, was have the... I say the courage, I don't know. I had to go and sit in a meeting um, and I had to listen to people. I chose to listen to people's stories. And what they do is they just share their experience. They experience their strength and their hope about how they've done life. And the 12 Steps is a, a program. Um, it, it's through a book and you find someone um, who can sponsor you and take you through the program. And their job is to basically walk you through the program and tell you how they have done or where the, how they've got to where they are in their recovery. Um, I don't think it's really um, appropriate to talk too much about the recovery yep. and what each individual yeah. step is. But yeah. what I would say is I would encourage people to go to a meeting and sit down and listen. They, you'll go, you know, the, there's loads of people that are sadly not with us anymore because they couldn't sit in a chair. You know, that does happen. You know the, the 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 answer to a lot of our my problems and a big chunk of my problems was in the in the rooms of a twelve step program and there are multiple different twelve step programs that you can go to this there's alcoholism there's drugs um, they're the main two yeah. places that people visit but also if you've got issues with food or you've got issues with sex um, there are lots of different twelve step programs they fundamentally follow the same principles. But do not think for a second that these aren't available to you. You can go online, you can look for a 12-step meeting depending on what 
you believe you're suffering from or you have an issue with and there will be some there will be one local to you there's also helplines that you can ring and that i found really really important because i remember when i first found the the phone the helpline what happened was someone was was able it was almost like they i had all this stuff in my head of how i thought i felt but i could never describe it yeah and when i spoke to this person on the phone it's as if, it's as if they plucked it out of my mind and described exactly i'd never been able to describe how i was feeling and this person described it it was almost like i was an alien dropped on this planet and everyone was talking a different language and then i finally met someone who spoke in a language that i understood well this is key isn't it because this is what we talk about pretty much every week mm -hmm. is there's going to be people out there that are going to be going through very different situations it doesn't necessarily all have to be exactly the same as yours but a guaranteed fact is whatever anybody's going through when it comes to alcoholism or addiction somebody else has already there experienced are, there, it. there's a group there are groups out there of all different um types of people you know like i say my primary was was i mean at the time you, look, you were saying you know i had sort of had an issue with drugs and and i i wasn't quite sure at the time whether i should go into maybe like a, a a narcotics fellowship or an alcoholic fellowship wasn't sure which one it was but someone gave me a great piece of advice which says at some particular point you have to pick a seat and sit in it yeah instead of floating between the two things and what i found is that once i stopped drink i i never take drugs sober but you stick a few drinks inside me and I'm on the phone to a dealer. It's a good yeah. idea. You know, so my primary the, the, was always alcohol. And once I, you know, once I dealt with that issue, drugs have never become a, just doesn't interest me. There's no, I don't, don't, don't see the point. Let's just go back to the, the, the core principles. I know you don't want to go too much in depth into the actual 12 steps, but what are the core principles that you can you take away from that that, that you apply to your recovery and your daily life? Okay, so the, the core principles for me on, on a daily basis are um, I get up in, as a standard day, I get up in the morning. Um, now, I try to, a lot of people, you can like kind of say, I can center myself or whatever. I generally have a conversation with what I call a higher power. Now, you can call that God, you can call yeah. it whatever you want to, um, but I believe that there is something, something out yeah. there that I connect with. Essentially, what alcoholism says is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable. That's step one in the 12-step fellowship. You know, in NA, it's something like we admit this, we were powerless over drugs and our life had become unmanageable if it's food and sex, whatever. You know, it's the, the general principle of the step is the same. And what that says is that I can't live with it. I admitted that I was powerless over alcohol. I can't live with it and that my life is unmanageable, that I can't live without it. So I can't live with it and I can't live without it. And then step two would be came to believe that a power greater than me could restore me to sanity that that <clears throat> that higher power you speak of you say you have a conversation each morning is that out loud is that in your head is it journaled? It's however it's however the individual chooses to do it it's however you can sit down and have a conversation with the what the the way that the, the the fellowships have got around being tied with a religious sort of point is they they say they use this wonderful thing and they say you can pick a god of your understanding. That makes it open to everybody. Yeah, yeah. 
Everybody's invited. Yeah. It doesn't say you must pick a Christian God. You have to pick this God. You have to pick that God. This is the God. This is the only God. They say, God of your understanding. Everybody can come in. It's amazing. Um, so you have this conscious contact with a God of your understanding. And essentially, because I admitted that I'm powerless, I now, through this, the purpose of the 12 steps is to put you in conscious contact with a power that can help you do what you cannot do yourself. So on my own, I'm powerless against alcohol. But the purpose of the program is to put you, to give you this contact with a power that can. That's essentially what it is. A, one of my, a good friend of mine describes it in a beautiful way. And it, it helps to sort of sometimes visualize it a little bit. But the way that he describes it is he said that your power is the end of one tunnel, is the end of a tunnel, right? And you're at the other end. And in the middle between you and that power is a load of boxes. And that is all the crap of your life. All the stuff you've done, all the things you've hidden, all the things that you cause you to be resentful, all your fears, all your insecurities, everything that, and you and you, you can sort of see a tiny crack of the light, and I like to envisage it as a light. You can see a little bit of the light at the end of the tunnel, but you can't see all of it. And the purpose of the steps is to clear away all those boxes. So you've got a direct contact with that power. So that's essentially what the purpose of the program is. Now, on a daily basis, the purpose is not to chuck any more shit in the tunnel. You know, don't get involved in, you know, try not to. There's no point clearing it all away and then go, woohoo, I've done recovery, and then just go yeah. off on your life mm -hmm. and be an arsehole because yeah. you're just going to fill it back up yeah. again. And eventually, at some point, you will become disconnected from that power and you will have to go back. So those principles are fundamental in the way that you conduct yourself with other people. Yeah, it's fundamental that yeah. you conduct yourself on a, how, how you conduct yourself on a daily basis. You don't, I don't want to go home with any with anything that I didn't wake up in the morning with, you know, like a resentment mm -hmm. or, you know, you negative I, emotions. Basically, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I try to clear everything. I either try to clear anything up that I do get involved in during the day, you know, or I have like this little I've like this little buffer. It may be, you know, it's not unique to me, I'm sure, but like there's, there's like a, and if something happens, like I, I could, get, I want to get involved in it. That's like a little buffer that just says you don't want nothing to do yeah. with that, because you're going to get involved in this altercation with this person mm. of something, and what's going to happen is they're going to drive fifty yards down the road and they're going to go, and they're never going to think about it again. Yeah. What you're going to do, you're going to chuck it in your figurative backpack and you're going to lug it home with you and all night people are like that fucking person did this and, this mm -hmm. thing and, and so what you've got there is a resentment and then what you do is you go out the next day and then you pick another one up yeah there's a guy called ed newton used to talk about it he said yeah uh he's got an amazing story if you ever google the guy ed newton he was um you have to listen to his story it is phenomenal like what he did in his life um but he used to talk about it he said, I'll go into a room, there'd be 100 people in there. 99 people think I'm the best thing since sliced bread. They absolutely love me. One person thinks I'm an arsehole. Who's got my attention? <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Yeah, the arsehole's got your attention. So what he would call that is a one. And he said, I had an imaginary backpack, and in the bag would go the one. And that person would take up so much space in my head. And he said, essentially, I spent my whole life walking around with a bag of ones. All these 
people that he'd picked up from various different areas, and there were resentments. That's just the way that he was made, you know, the way that his circumstances had had happened, and part of his recovery was learning how to put down the bag of ones. You know, yeah. beautiful, beautiful story that he's got. It's quite phenomenal. He, yeah, I'll send you the link to it. It's it's amazing. Would you would you say then, the way you've just described all of that? Is that not only does um, the the twelve step program help you overcome addiction, like it it helps you in every single aspect of life to be a better human yeah, being. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The twelve step program. If I mean, they. It's really hard because the twelve step program would absolutely benefit everybody, mm. but you have to be in a certain spot of despair to go and do a twelve step program. You know, like. As you go further through the steps, it's um, coming to believe into a high, you know, coming to believe in a higher power. Lots of people do that. You know, we have religion all over the world that believe in a higher yeah. power. But then what you know, you do things like make the, make a list of all of the things that have gone wrong in your life and look at your part in it. Look at your fears. Admit to another person. One of the part, one of the steps is you admit to another person all of. Imagine, imagine writing down all your deepest and darkest that you've got, right, and admitting it to someone else, and looking at your part in it. Yeah. How liberating would that be? Because we never point the finger to ourselves. But, it, but how that would be so lib yeah. be liberating <clears throat> to do? But it's scary. Why would it you, is scary? You, you, yeah, you might is, look yeah. at no, not necessarily yourself, but there might be people out there going. Why would I do that? Yeah. Mm. Why? Why would I write down all these things that I've done and admit it to someone else, and what then look at my part in it as well? That sounds balmy. Yeah. Why would I do that? But how freeing it becomes mm. from from going through that process. Now you don't have to have an addiction to make that journey. There are plenty of you know professionals and and people that you can take a similar journey with. Um, you know, self-development coaches and mm -hmm. therapists. Absolutely, I would encourage anyone to go and take a journey of discovery along those routes. You don't have to have an addiction or alcohol, you know, to, to take that journey. So we, we write down all these lists of people's. Um, and then we do this other amazing thing, which all the people that we've wronged, where possible, unless it should cause harm to them, such as if you've, well, kind of irrelevant, but... You can't go and make an amends to someone that's going to make you feel better but screw up their life. Yeah. Yes. Right? So you can't. If you've slept with someone's wife or something, you can't go and knock on the door and say, <laughs> yeah. I am really sorry for sleeping with your wife three years ago. Cheers. And then, like, wander off because you've just turned their heart. She might not have told him or he might not be aware of it or whatever the circumstances are. You can't chuck someone else's, you know, set someone else's house on fire to keep yours in order. So unless the circumstances are going to cause particular, dis, you know, um, harm to someone else, but you can, where you have made, you've been at fault, go and admit you're wrong. And what you're not doing, you're not excusing yourself for your behavior. I'm not excusing myself for, for my behavior. All I'm saying is that I did this thing and it was wrong and I recognize that it was wrong and I am sorry. Now, some people will go, thank you very much, and some people will tell you to fuck off. That, again, is nothing to do with you. Yeah. You know, I remember um, 
it's like the more you talk, the more you remember things that happened. I went, I went back to a golf club that I worked at about three, four years ago now, right? And I saw a guy up there. Now, he hasn't seen me since I was 18 years old, right? And I walked up to this golf club and he came walking across the putting green. And he goes to me, you right, you little prick? Now, at that precise moment, everything in me just went, do you not Do you not know all the stuff I've been through, all this work I've done on myself, all these things that have happened, and how dare you walk across, you haven't seen me in 20 years nearly, walk across here and go, all right, you little prick. But at that moment as well, what I remembered is the last time he saw me, I was a little prick. <laughs> <laughs> but you almost slipped into victim mentality yeah, yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, at that little moment, yeah. that little moment, right? And so what I did, not out of character, but well, very much out of character from um, what I would have been like, as I walked over there and I said, and I introduced myself and I said, hello, mister, I was very polite. Nice to see you again. I haven't seen you for a long time. And he looked at me and after about f a minute of me talking, he went, it was really strange. He said to me, he said, I recognize your face. He said, but apart from that, I've never met you before in my life. And he said, and I, and I, I didn't go into too much detail. I just told him a little snippet of my story. And he just shook my hand and he said, it's nice to see you. That's a, that's a beautiful, actually, that's the beautiful example of your journey and where you'd got to, because there's going to be people that are going to be in, in, in dark places and, and think, you know, there's no way out of here. There's no, you know, I'm, 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 I'm just on this road of self-destruction, but. But it's also the fear. It's also the fear. Fear, fear as well. The fear, fear of as what well, people yeah. are going to think about you. Yeah. And you have to remember that that person's opinion of you is based on their experience of you. Yeah. You know. But you can the, get from, to a point. From the last time that you had any interaction, that is, that's what they, that's who they think you are. Yeah. Now, some people are going to behave in certain ways and some people aren't. But all, I, I try to assume the best, you know. And I also have to remember that their reaction to me when they meet me now is based on their previous experience mm -hmm. of yeah. me. Now, if if it's all negative, that's fine. It's not a problem. But my expectation is not... If I go into that seeing someone and my expectation is like, look at me, look at how well I've done. I'm nine years sober and I've done this and it's fantastic and I need to tell you how good it is so you can give me a pat on the back and tell me how well I've done. No, 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 no. My My interaction is just to have no expectation whatsoever. Like I did, you know, like I said, with that person at the golf club. Yeah. And that's, that's it, like he said to me, you know, and I always remember it, he said, I know your face, but apart from that, I, it's like I've never, I've never, never seen you, never met you before. So we can go through alcoholism and come out the other end and we can come out better. And there are programs out there that do help people exactly the way that you've, you've, you've kind of explained. We've talked about, um, you know, going through those experiences and t going through recovery. 
what about what would you say to people that are questioning whether they need to assess their consumption or whether it's becoming an addiction i would say the absolute best thing to do is go and find a 12-step program that is relevant to what you're what you're suffering what you think you might be suffering with and go there for a year and do absolutely everything that is suggested for you to do attend meetings find a sponsor do the program get service do absolutely everything for a whole year 100 percent. be like saying right i want to get into a want to get into better shape and you go give me a year give me a year of your time i'm going to sort your diet out i'm going to give you an exercise re regime give me one year and if you don't want it you can have a full refund now, if someone said that to you, what could you do in a year with that person? This is this is the thing, and I'm so glad you highlighted it because people will look at a year and think that long. Yeah. When it's not long. No, it's not at all. And that time will fly by. It, it, it might not even necessarily fly by, but when you look at it in the grand scheme of things, essentially, from um, from an addiction standpoint, you've had someone who's had these this bad lifestyle habits for. 15, 20, 20 plus years, if a 12 step program can break all of that cycle in one year, you've done very, very yeah. well. Yeah. Very, very yeah. well. So what I'm saying is go to it for one year. Something actually you do said. Absolutely do absolutely everything that is suggested. And if you don't, if after one year you don't want it, all of your misery is refundable. You can have it all back. There's something you said that was really important actually. Um, you said whatever you think you might be going through and we were having a conversation earlier on about well actually I was having a conversation with somebody else about a mutual friend <clears throat> who thought they had a problem but thought if I attend um, a program or, or, or follow some kind of program or some kind of recovery they might turn around to me and say you're not an addict right no one Right, and, th and this is my experience of it. No one can tell you whether you are, yeah, exactly, or you aren't. Yeah, that is down for you to decide. Most people, like if we meet, if we've got someone who doesn't have a drinking problem, right, they won't even think about having a drink. Like the the possibility of having a drinking problem will not even enter their mind if the there is a if if you think you have a drinking problem you probably have yeah on some level now you might be able to it might be in the early stages it might be in the mid stages later stages whatever but most people like if you don't have an issue with it you wouldn't even think about you it. You wouldn't think mm. about it. It wouldn't come up in your mind. It's not even it. like... Yeah, exactly. You know, something has to... There has to be something... Something has to happen, right? Like in any sort of... Um, or my experience with many issues that I've got, health-wise, like, there's got to be something the that point of acknowledgement. to think about it. Yeah. Like, if, yeah. like, if I get chest pains... I'm going, oh, is there, so, is there something wrong? If I've never had a chest pain, mm -hmm. then I'm assuming that yep. it's all tickety-boo here, thanks very much. 
you know if i if if that if i've got a, a sore knee from like an exercise you're like, oh i don't know maybe my knees a bit you know but if it never hurts i'm never going to worry about yeah. it so, so if you've a, never yeah. done any if mm. you've never done anything to question your alcohol consumption uh, such as make a bit of a twat of yourself you know or wake up in the morning with um one of the one of the things that i i don't know if you remember this um, but i i remember and it's it's a common common behavior and i want to sort of highlight a few behaviors because it might flag up some stuff for people i used to wake up in the morning and i'd uh, i'd lie in my bed and the first thing i'd do is go okay i'm home excellent that's one thing ticked off the next thing i'd look for would be my phone and i'd i'd almost like quite apprehensively pick up my phone and see like oh what could this what could this say this morning how many missed calls you know, have I got a message from you saying, Jimmy, G-R, you know, rah, rah, capitals, <laughs> you know, something like that, or from yeah. a girlfriend like, whoa, like, you know. The fear of picking up a phone in the morning, you know, people that don't have some form of issue with alcohol, I'm not going to say addiction or alcoholism, but don't have some form of issue with alcohol or their behaviour or misuse of alcohol, generally won't pick up their phone and go, oh, you yeah. know especially you know i don't want to say like age things but you know if, i think if you're younger it's sort of more socially acceptable but you know if i was still doing that now yeah, at it, nearly it 40 yeah. and i'd just been out last night and woke up this morning and gone oh, what have we got here what what are these messages and or looking back through the call log going who did i call what did i you know that sort of behavior that's that to me was an issue yeah um but you know absolutely that you no one can tell you whether you you're not going to go into it you're not going to go into a 12-step fellowship and they're going to go like uh maybe if you've ever been in one of the drink aware courses i had to go and do yeah. one of those like a drink aware courses they're not going to give you like a drinking diary and go okay so how many uh how many units do you normally consume a week and you go oh, about 20 they go oh i'm sorry you don't quite qualify for mm, for yeah. alcoholics anonymous it's kind of 50 units and above and then you are an alcoholic it doesn't work like that not to do with volume no, no one's going to tell you whether you can or can't be in that room the only requirement for membership of most fellowships is an honest desire to stop whatever you're doing mm. drink drugs you know bad behavior around sex or whatever it's only an honest desire or it's like it doesn't even say honest anymore it's just a desire to want to stop it's essentially yeah. you have to have a desire to want to change it's something that we talk about a lot and which is one of our one of our our strap lines is take that first step mm. take that first step and, and what we're saying here is okay fine you might not think you're an addict but the fact that you're questioning yourself about it means that maybe you should try something like you said for a year and, and see well, what Well, I mean, there could, you know, there, there's multiple different yeah. routes, you know, that, I mean, what did I try to do? So I, I went for CBT therapy. Uh, I did the drink diary. I tried going on medication from the doctors um, to, that would almost make me feel a bit sick when I drank. I think they call it, I can't remember what they call it, but I know they still do it. I basically tried every single possible thing mm. apart, I mean, from stopping drinking. I mean, I remember at one particular point I went through going, oh, do you know what? Things really get out of hand when I drink Guinness. It's the Guinness's fault. Yeah. So I'll stop drinking Guinness. 
or like, do you know what? Whiskey. Whiskey's bad. I'll just stick to vodka. It was always kind of like, it was the type of yeah. alcohol's yeah, problem yeah. as opposed to the fact that it's all alcohol. Yeah. That was the issue. You know, so it's kind of like, you know, do you do you have those kind of behaviours? Have you decided, like, uh, like someone says to you, you know, when they say one thing you'll never drink again, then you go, oh, whiskey. Yeah, never drink whiskey again. That gets really, it's really, I get really bad on it. You know, we, there's quite a lot of people we know that have yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, I won't drink that again. It's not. It's not actually just you know. It's all alcohol. Yeah, exactly. Um, but again, I'm not. I'm not anti-alcohol. You know, I believe that you know you can all. Everyone can can do what they want. But what I'm. It's when it comes to that point of where you think. Well, it's when a it's costing you yeah. more than. Do you know what? When it's costing you more than money. Yeah. If you're missing days at work, if you're struggling with your relationships in life, if you are not going in the direction you want to in life, if alcohol is costing you more than money, it might be a problem. Well, it's even what you said earlier on about the dependency of hearing those bottles clanking in the back of your boot. Yeah. You know what I mean? James, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. You have really touched on the points mm. that we wanted to touch on today, and I think there's some real nuggets in there um, that will really resonate with people. Um, personally, mate, I'm so proud of you, where you are now, knowing you pre-recovery and post, and you inspire me as well, you know, to, to kind of move forward and, and, and follow that lead. Um, guys, that's episode eight. Fantastic, James. I mean, I know I could sit here and talk to him for another hour about this. It's just immense what you can take away from that if you are suffering from alcoholism or even if you like we've said you're you're questioning whether you need to take a step towards recovery um again it doesn't need to manifest itself in drinking all day long from morning to night um, like james gave the example of the woman with the bottles clanking in her boot um i think james nailed it if it's costing you more than money then it's something that you need to address um, so that's episode eight. Join us next week uh, for another entrepreneur and another story.